Matthew 5. Let's crack open those Bibles if you've got them. Matthew chapter 5. Have you been enjoying this series? This has been really, really good. I hope that you uh, begin to settle into Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 as we move forward with these next six weeks. Um, First two weeks have been fantastic. Uh, Week one was all about identity, Um, this celebration of Jesus and his identity from the Father, that he is a dearly loved son. He's approved, he's accepted by the Father, not as a result of anything that he's done. But that identity was at the foundation of everything that he would do from that point forward. His identity mattered. And then last week we looked at authority. Um, I thought I got a chance to listen to this message with my son. And we just were both, it was a, a defining word, I think, for, for, for my son and I. As we were talking about looking at the fact that Jesus has given us an example of now speaking with authority to the very core realities that haunted, that haunt you and I, but not just us, but ultimately Jesus. And Jesus has now created this pathway of victory through his identity and authority working together. And it really leads us to what we're going to talk about for tonight. But um, chapter three was identity. Chapter four at the beginning was authority. And then uh, it crescendo, it begins to crescendo into the end of chapter four, where Jesus is stirring up the crowds as a result of the fact that now he has been launched into his ministry. Um, And you have people from all walks and backgrounds all clamoring to be around Jesus. This is a crowd that's being uh, now brought together, brought around this king, this new king in Jesus Christ. And these crowds are are not what you would think. Um, They come from... uh, all walks of life, there, is, there are those who are Gentile, those who are Jews, uh, and so they begin now cross-pollinating for one specific purpose, and that's Jesus. And so I think when I thought about the Sermon on the Mount, for many of us, we think of it's a, like a serene moment of tranquility. It's just Jesus kind of pontificating. No, 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 no. Like there is a, fear, like a, a flurry of activity. This is a supernatural moment, a politically charged moment supernaturally charged moment. And then he, he gathers people uh, on this mountain. And as you know, a lot of really important things occur in mountains. The giving of law, for example, in Exodus chapter 20, it's kind of a big deal, right? And so that happened on a, on a mount. And so here you have Jesus. Uh, not the second coming of Moses, but the better Moses, who is now giving a better law. And what he's doing is he's, he's now, as this king, inaugurated king, he is creating, he's now saying that the, the kingdom has come. I'm the king. And now this king is, is laying out what it looks like to be a, a kingdom follower. What does it look like to live in this kingdom? What, what does it mean to, to operate with one another, with God? All through the lens of identity and authority. You see, what's fascinating about the first maybe 20 verses of chapter five, is that Jesus is now, he's now turning all of the identity and authority that he's received, he's now turning it to his followers. So when he says, you are the salt of the earth, like that's identity, that's not what you do, that's who you are. So now what Jesus is doing, he's saying, this is what's been given to me in identity and authority, I'm now turning it around and I'm now giving it to you. As those who are going to follow me in my kingdom, 
my way. Now, this is, this is really, this is a, a, the hearers in this context have, like, they have nothing to compare it to. Because uh, there, there was the Pharisee uh, kind of approach of life, which was all about adherence to the law and traditions. There was the Sadducees, which was all about, they were realists. They were about making a deal with Rome and just kind of getting on with life. There was the, the, the Essenes, which were about, they, they basically concluded, let's burn the whole thing down. And they took it off, they took off to just live in, in the, de- the desert itself. And then you've got the zealots. They were politically, they wanted to overthrow everything. So the Pharisees were all, all, were all about going back. The Sadducees were all about going ahead. The Essenes were all, 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 all about getting out. The zealots were all about being activists. And then you have Jesus. And Jesus didn't fit. And he's now calling everyone to a whole new way of operating in life. And ultimately, this authority and identity he wants to give, he now wants to give it to people and, and now launch them into the basic struggles and challenges that they have in life. Enter Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. And as we talk about anger, let me just tell you, uh, Pastor AJ was giving out these assignments, and I just said, oh, God, please help me not get anger. That's the one area that I'm, I'm, I'm not only uh, a, a spokesman, I'm also a client, right? So uh, if, if I'm being honest, um, I'm in the battle with you. We're all in this thing together, okay? So as we look at this idea of anger... Uh, I think that we're going to be able to unpack some things that we haven't seen before. And ultimately, the hope is that the identity and the authority that's extended to Jesus, he wants to reiterate that in hope and encouragement and purpose and direction to move us forward, not now launch us in, in regards to our past of all the things that we're not. Okay, so this is what Matthew chapter 5 says, 21 to 26. It says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, I love that. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brothers will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brothers will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother's have something against you, leave your gift right there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. August 21st, 2017. I don't know if you have cultural amnesia, but a kind of an epoch moment happened in 2017. I was in Nashville and from Oregon all the way to South Carolina, there was an eclipse. This eclipse was unlike anything that we had experienced it was a full eclipse. I, I was in Nashville with my wife, and 
you saw the sun and all of a sudden you didn't see the sun. And, and there was something blocking it. Now, it was really important to know there was nothing wrong with the sun at all. It was my vantage point and perspective of the sun that got blocked, preventing me from seeing it. Six minutes later, though, it was fine. The sun came out. And what Jesus is doing is what he's saying in this, in this um, rich, uh, intense, almost like a cold water bath, at least for me, is that he is helping us see that in regards to anger, anger, that the devil uses anger to be an eclipse that blocks us in our relationship with God, in our personal growth, in our relationship with people. That's what he's saying. Is that he is saying simply that the power of anger is now something that we have to acknowledge as a reality and not something that is uh, just a minor problem. This is what I mean. Uh, we've got a family of six people have an ongoing relationship with the local library. And as a result, we have an ongoing fine. How many families just, you have an ongoing fine with the local library? Yeah. So, uh, again, I am a tax-paying citizen, love God, but I, am, I can go to sleep at night knowing that I have a a ongoing library fine. Like, I'm kind of okay with that. I'm going to pay it, believe me. But as soon as I pay it, something's going to happen, and I'm going to owe more money. I'm just going to take my time. Now, if, if I were to have a back tax with the IRS worth about $500,000, that's something a little bit different. That's an urgency, an intensity, and an intentionality on my side to now focus on this problem because my world is going to shut down. What Jesus is doing in this moment is that he is trying to adjust our perspective of the power of anger, that its effect, that it is not something to be ignored and that you can just kind of sleep through like a, a library fund. This is a back tax. There is a serious problem in this kingdom that we are living in, in, the, in this beauty of, of, a, of a new king, a new kingdom, that anger will not be accepted. Is what this king is saying. It won't be accepted. Like this is, for me, this is alarming. This is an important defining moment of reading this text and going, man, anger is one of Satan's eclipses to block us from seeing, savoring, and flourishing in the identity and authority we have in Jesus Christ. He's trying to change how, how we see it. But if I'm honest, this is really hard to see it the way that Jesus does because we live in a society that, um, if we're really honest, uh, is filled with culture. Or it's a, it's a, a culture of rage, bitterness, and outrage. I mean, if you were to do a Google search just of the word outrage, you would, have, you would find this. Vegans are, are apparently outraged. Uh, dancers are outraged, gardeners are outraged, fishermen are outraged, and knitters, apparently they're outraged too, because in 2016, they weren't allowed to be in the Olympics as an official sport, and so when knitters get outraged, they have weapons. I mean, that's not good. There's outrage. I mean, we live in a culture that anger is a part of how we live. It's a, it's a, especially right now politically, we're just, 
We're constantly leading with just anger and dissension and frustration and accusation. We're leading with that. And it's just the, the air that we breathe. It's the water that we drink. In fact, um, Jeffrey Kluger, he, he says this. He, he writes for time. Rage uncorked becomes rage indulged. Rage indulged becomes rage applaud, applauded. Pretty soon, everyone with a gripe decides it's all right to crank the machine up to 11. Tim Kreider from the New York Times just assessing this current culture of anger and outrage, he says this, outrage is like a, a lot of things that feel good, but, for, but over time devour us from the inside out. And it's even more insidious than most vices because we don't even consciously acknowledge that it's a pleasure. We prefer to think of it as a dis disagreeable but fundamental, fundamentally healthy involuntary reaction to negative stimuli thrust upon us by the world that we live in, like pain or nausea, rather than admit that it's a shameful kick. We eagerly indulge again and again. This is from the New York Times. The Atlantic says this. We should, in other words, be worried perhaps even more than we already are. It seems like our current madness should be reaching its, its apex, that relief ought to be on the horizon. But the sources of our anger run deeper than the present political moment. There's something that's fueling our anger. That's what they're all asking. What is fueling it? What's deeper? Like what is causing? Like when we, when, when I'm frustrated with my kids and I react to them, like an eclipse, I see the life go out. When I respond to my wife, it's at, at this moment of anger or frustration, I can't find my keys. I can't find a controller. I can't find my computer and I turn on someone. An eclipse happens. But what's running deeper than all of that? Like what is causing us to respond and react like this? Well, Jesus points us to Matthew chapter 24. And when he's talking about signs of the end times, this is what he says. Then many will take offense, betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many, that's agape, the agape love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. What he's saying is he's giving us a, a clue into what fuels the anger within. He says that offense, it leads to betrayal. Betrayal, it leads to hate. So what he's saying is anger is a secondary emotion. It's rooted into something else. So the question is, what is fueling the offense? And what happens is that, is that if you allow for offense, which leads to hatred, if you allow it to fuel you and to be connected to your soul and continue to define you, what happens is that like an eclipse, it'll allow, it, it even begins to affect the way that you love God your agape love for God and ultimately others will grow cold. The purpose of anger is it, it exists and is used by Satan himself to try to twist you into a place where you're dark, where you see nothing. Your heart is cold. Like you see a person and you instantly go cold. Like this is, this is what's happening. And, and you see it really with the, with the exa example of Cain. I mean, Cain is a perfect expression of everything that he just read. Cain's reaction to kill his brother 
all came out. First, he was jealous. God accepted his brother's offering. And then he was embarrassed. Then he was disappointed. He felt rejected. He lost control. He felt less than his brother. He felt it was unfair that he was being mistreated, and then he kills his brother. His outward expression of anger, it was fueled by something secondary. All of this begins to get connected to bitterness. So let's pull the string a little bit on bitterness. Okay, let's do that. Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your, your father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Our intimacy with Jesus is now, is now directly connected to the bitterness that now fuels us and the anger by which it now is it's expressed. It's that, that our relationship with God as it pertains to, to, to now receiving forgiveness from him, having a heart that's soft, that now that we can't have that the way that we were designed to when it comes to our identity and authority in this new kingdom if we have bitterness that, that traps us, a bitterness that is eclipsing the love of the Father and the opportunities of relationship with people. It hinders our prayers. Mark 11, 22. Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. Now he's saying that there's a faith that we relate to God, but then he's also like a faith of, 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 of praying and reading your Bible. There's a faith that is operating through you to relate to the world that is is growing your relationship with God. That's one faith. But then Jesus talks about a secondary faith that moves mountains. I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for you. Therefore, I tell you, all the things you pray and ask for, believe that you have received them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, If you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Which means, and at the core, at the base of who we are as a people, we are a church that has mountain moving faith. Like we want that. Like it's going to take faith for us to win the city. It's going to take faith for us to be a a place of reconciliation. It's going to take mountain moving faith. What he's saying is that when we have bitterness that is attached to our heart, that is eclipsing the way that we see other people and ultimately God, that our prayers of faith are hindered. They're hindered. They're hindered. Our intimacy with God is affected. Our our prayers are affected. And then then our, our, our community with one another is affected. This is what Hebrews 12 says. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. Did, did, did you catch this? The, what bitterness exists to do is ultimately eclipse the relationships that you have with one another and defile them. It causes trouble. It pollutes. It contaminates. I mean, we're integrated beings, and so it's impossible for the bitterness within you to not leak out. If this this emotion of anger, if it's a 
It's a secondary emotion and the whole goal. See, you thought we were talking about anger. But see, it's way below just an emotional response to the fact that you want to kick the dog occasionally. Like this way deeper than that. The goal of, of anger is to point you to the fact that there may be, not may, there is something of bitterness that is designed to keep you trapped. It's a lot like spite houses. I don't know if you've heard about spite houses, but I did a little discovery and there's a lot of them. And this is what a spite house is. The, the origin, it, it began in, in Chicago. There was two, uh, there, there was an owner of a large building who, uh, who was neighbors with another person in a large building. And then there was a 10 foot track of land, like an alleyway. And there was an owner of that land who went to one neighbor and said, hey, I want to sell you this um, so that you can extend uh, your apartment complex. I'll, I'll give you this track for this price. And the guy said, you can't do anything with that land. I'll give you 10% of what you just asked. So he goes to the other neighbor and says, hey, you know, I'd love to sell you this land. And he cut him off and said, no, no, I heard what the other, na- what the other guy gave you, or at least what he offered you. I'll give you 10% of that offer. So what this dude did, he was so offended by the responses of those around him that he, he discovered that he could build a house. A house that was 10 feet wide. And, and, it, and, and he moved into this house to now constantly make other people aware of the fact that he's been wronged and I've, I've found a way to get you back. In fact, there's, there's one in, this is the one in, um, in D.C. It's apparently, it's like, it's very, uh, it's got a lot of stories. It's got a, it's very expensive. There's, there's also one in Seattle, the, the next slide. This is my favorite. Um, this is, uh, this is actually lived in by someone, but my all-time favorite is, is the last one. It's, this is a house in Boston. And, and in this house, this is called the, the, the tiny house. It sold for $1.25 million this past year. But the storyline behind this is that um, two brothers were trying to f- uh, fight for an inheritance. And in the midst of the fight, one brother won. The other brother went off to war. And when he came back, the brother who had won had built a home giving and, and had built this extravagant home. And extended it beyond where he was supposed to into his brother's land, giving him 10 feet to work with. And this home was this guy's prized possession because one of the reasons that he loved it so much is the, is the way that the light came in at one of the windows. His brother found out about the light, and guess what he did? He built a home to block the light. He built a home to be a constant reminder of the fact that, yes, you think that you've won, but I'm going to constantly remind you the fact that I have won, I've beat you, and that I'm mad at you, and I don't like you, and I'm going to block your light every day. When we allow for bitterness to seep in, to, yes, identify the anger, but, but find the root of that anger into bitterness and to acknowledge it, that, that, that this, is, this, is, this is what Jesus is trying to say, is that, is that anger cannot be a part of the identity and authority that I've given to you because if it 
is inside of you, all it exists to do is to block your relationship with me, block your relationship with others, and cause you to ultimately begin to shrink and live in a tiny, tiny spiritual home. So what's the hope of this eclipse of anger? Well, he says it in verse 23. We just read it. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. We have a hope in this eclipse of anger. There's actually, there's actually light. I heard a story uh, recently about Alexander the Great and he had conquered the known world and was planning to make a tour to Corinth. Well, he had a philosopher who was also a, a tutor named Diogenes. Diogenes just had this ongoing relationship with Alexander the Great where he was never impressed. And everything that Alexander the Great would do would, would be to live this life, conquer these things, do all types of of superior accomplishments for one purpose, and that was to try to make Diogenes impressed and, and proud of him. Well, he, he goes down Corinth, and, and the crowds, the throngs of people are there, and they're all saying, Alexander, you are great. And he's in the middle of this, of this parade. Yes, I'm the great Alexander. I've conquered the known world. What have you done? Nothing, okay. And, and then he, he stops and he goes, Is, where's Diogenes? And he, he asked the person, where is Diogenes? And he said, well, you promised not to kill the messenger. And he's saying, and he said, yeah, I promise. He said, he's, he's sunbathing at his home. This is a real story. So what Alexander the Great does is he, he goes and he takes a whole collection of those in the army and he walks to Diogenes' house. And he hears him coming. Diogenes here hears him coming, doesn't budge. And he stands over top of him. He says, Diogenes, it is I, the great Alexander. What may I do for you? And he looks up and he says, get out of my light. That's what you can do. You can get out of my light. What Jesus is now saying to you and I is that there is a way for this eclipse that now blocks to get out. That with Diogenes, the only thing that he could give, I'm sorry, with Alexander the Great, the only thing he could give Diogenes is the thing that he already had to begin with, but was being blocked by this man. He just was saying, I want it back. And I want it back now. What Jesus is saying is, he's saying, you know what? The posture that I want for those who who have my identity with my authority is to begin to speak to these eclipses of anger, Bitterness, say, you know what? It's time to get out of my light. It's time to get out. Well, how do we do that then? If that's what we have as an authoritative declaration that we, and for for many of us, we're hearing this and we are instantly thinking of people. People who have been in our light. People that we can't get past. People that are just are overwhelming us when it comes to, to now leading us. It feels like they're leading us into the spite house. We've been living there. And we're angry. We're angry at everything. And now, now you begin to hear, oh my goodness, Corey, you're telling me that 
It's possible for me to now have an authority that says to all of these blockades, these eclipses, these angers, these points of bitterness, I can actually begin to, absolutely, you can start speaking to them. And so how do we do this? Well, what Jesus says is he says, remember, when you're going to offer something and you remember that you've done something, the first step is to recognize. Is to recognize. It's to, it's to, if you've offended someone, to own it. And for men, that's the hardest part. To own what you've done. To own what you've said. To own what you haven't said. For those of you who have been offended, this is hard too. To own and to not say always and never. That doesn't help. Doesn't help anyone. Give specifics. Give a, a recognize a specific situation, moment, word. It might be with a coach. It might be with a husband, a wife, whatever it is. Recognize it. Own it. Get down to the details of the offense. Be specific. And with a lot of Christians, we don't like doing this because we feel like we need to like lead with faith. It takes faith to do this. It takes faith to identify, you know what? This person left me when I was 10. They left me. That's specific. That, that's what we're talking about. Let's get down to the details of what has been blocking you. What things have been, have been overtaking you? What does it look like for you to start with specificity? Recognize it. And then the next step is to release. He says, be reconciled. First step, though, after you recognize this, is to, is to position yourself as an offender before God. The only way that you make that person human is for you to realize I have offended a holy God. I've, I've got to be in a place of saying, God, I've wounded my relationship with you. I have turned my back on you. I have left you. And I am broken for that. God, rem help me remember before I go to them, help me go to you and acknowledge what I've done before you and the fact that you have led with forgiveness with me. We've got, we've got to, to start with the position where I am an offender before God and that from that position, we see the person, not the offense. I mean, we've all gotten, went, been to the circus and got caricature, right? It, it takes one part of our face, like I've got big ears. I always get these drawings where my, my ears are like the size of elephants, right? I don't look human. That's what, if you don't identify the offense, you will make a caricature of that person. You will take the one thing that they've done and you will dehumanize them. You'll dehumanize them. You, you'll take a person made in the image of God and you will now put, you will position them in your mind as someone who's demonic, who is apart from God because of something that they've done. We've got to see the person, not the offense. And then we draw from the reservoir of the fruit of the cross to now release them. And believe me, this is hard. This is costly. It costs you to do this. It, it, man, it may take walks in the morning, multiple walks where you're crying out and you're yelling and you don't want to, but you're saying, God, I want to try. Help me take baby steps. And beginning to see this person as a human being so that now you can replace my bitterness with forgiveness. Where I can actually release them. 
Lewis Smeads, he, he says this, when you forgive someone, you are dancing to the rhythm of the divine heartbeat. God invented forgiveness as the only way to keep his romance with the human race alive. You, this has to be a part of your understanding of anger. It goes way beyond anger. This begins with recognizing and then beginning to release them. And then what Jesus says, he says, he says do it quickly, which means this has to be rapid. It has to be rapid. I mean, Ephesians 4, you know it. It says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. This word foothold is from the word tapas, where we get topography. It's a military word. It's all about surveying an enemy territory to see where you can launch an invasion. Like that's what a foothold is. We have a program. It's called forgiveness. It is how we have a relationship with God. When we choose not to use that program, when we choose to withhold forgiveness from people and live in a place of anger and dissension, and we choose it, we live in it, it's ours. We are in the spite house, and we're going to love every minute of it. When we do that, I'm telling you, the devil sets up a... A, a launching pad into your life in that area. It's going to happen. This is what the text is saying. The devil knows you are forgiven if you refuse to participate with this program of forgiveness. That's all he's got. That's all he's got. Corey Ten, Ten Boom, he's, she says this. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So how is this reconciliation? How is this even possible? Three years later, Jesus goes to another hill, a mount. And in Mark chapter 15, this is what it says. At noon, love this, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Jesus faces our eclipse. He faces it. He takes it on. He takes on everything that has been taking you on, everything you've been holding, all of the, the spite houses, all of the offenses, all of the anger, all of the reactions, all of the accusations. This Jesus, this, this one, he takes it. He sees it. He absorbs it. He faces it. He goes into the darkness. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sakpatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine and vinegar, put it on, on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, Jesus, uh, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Because this man has taken all of the eclipses that have been attacking us, he takes them, but then as a result, he, he tears this curtain, dividing God from humanity and then dividing us from one another. And Jesus, he tears it. Which means now what he can offer you and, and I is actual hope in the midst of the wounds that we face 
and the bitterness that comes out of those wounds, those wounds can actually become scars. Like if you have a wound, that thing is sensitive. Like we all have been around wounded people. You say a name, you, 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 you give a season of their life. You bring up something and you, you see that person instantly change into someone else. It's a wounded person. But when you go from wounds to scars, scars tell stories. I mean, I've got scars that, I mean, I got on a bike crash, went over top of, of this rock, landed head first, tore up my face, tore up my shoulder. Now I can like laugh about it. Like, scars tell stories. When it comes to the anger that we have that feels so defining right now, do you realize that the person and work of Jesus wants to take that wound and heal it in order for you to now have a, a gospel story, a story of redemption from that wound that now leads you to scars? Scars. We don't have to be defined by all of these eclipses that seem to be overwhelming. The eclipse of sin and self, just um, it's like they tag team to cover a relationship with God, to cover people. We can actually say, get out of my light. Get out of my light. I'll end with this last verse, John 1, 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What, as I've been talking, I'm just going to list a few things. And I want, I want you to really, I want you to ask God to awaken, to soften your heart. So that you can just simply move out of the eclipse and see the sun in a different way. And, and then as you see the sun, maybe the sun might be wanting you to go back to, for example, your, your mom or dad. Or step-parent ex-husband, wife, spouse, child, boss, co-worker, a pastor, someone that you've just, when you think about them, emotion, intensity, accusation, poison just begins to fuel, to fuel you maybe this is a moment for you to ask God to help you to begin to live in this program of, of, of a real forgiveness, a forgiveness that is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever. This is what Jesus offers you and I. And this is what we have to look at these eclipses and say, get out of my light. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord Jesus, I just, even in this moment, there's just a lot of people who are in a lot of different spaces with a lot of different emotions. Man, some of us are carrying pain that's visceral. We're carrying it on our face. We're carrying it on our body. We're stressed out. Our back is just aching. Like our physical, our knees are just crushed because we're carrying weight that we don't have to. We're choosing to live in these spite houses to spite someone else, just, just attack them, just to, just to lay it on them. And yet, Lord, I'm asking in all of these places, as hard as this is to say, God, help me forgive them. I'm tired of 
not seeing you clearly. I'm tired of seeing others through a very, very skewed perspective. I'm, I'm tired of, of my emotional growth being stunted because I am refusing to forgive. I, I want to say get out of my life, but, but God, it's so hard. It is so hard to say this. I just kind of love my anger. I love it. But God, I don't want it. I don't want it. I just, I, I know that there are many of us here who we're, we've just been, we've, we've been carrying pain. And for some of us, it's time to just release. It's time to release. If, if you're here and you, you just sense God wants you to release some, some things, just go ahead and raise, raise your hand. I'm just going to pray for you. Good. It's just time to release. Good. Good. I'm, for some of us, our arm has never been heavier than it is right now when we're raising it. It's never been heavier. And yet it's ne never been lighter all at the same time. Father in heaven, I'm asking that you would empower your people to now receive and to give forgiveness. That God, we can now look at people through a new lens because we're receiving the light of life and we're ultimately giving that out now. Lord, we thank you that we can be a people that say to the darkness, get out. Get out, get out, get out. You are not wanted. I see you for what you are. You're trying to block my relationship with God. You're trying to block the way in which I treat others. You're trying to block my authority in Jesus. You're trying to block my identity. I see you. I call you out. And I'm saying, get out. Get out. Lord Jesus, we want to be a people that say, get out of my life. Get out. We do not want to be those who are, who are bullied by the power of anger and ultimately bitterness. Lord, we want to be your people that are forgivers. We love you. We honor you. You're freeing people tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen.